We want to continue in the series, Jesus, yesterday, today, forever. We have talked about him being the carpenter, the bread, the shepherd, the physician. Last weekend, Trey shared with you the teacher. This weekend, I want to talk about Jesus the Christ. Some people think that's his last name, Mr. Christ, but there's more to it than that. So I want to revert it just a minute, and I want you to do this. I want you to think, if you could change your own name, what would it be? I've heard so many people say, I don't like my name. I don't know why my parents named me this. If you could change your own name, what would it be? And now that you have that in your mind, a new name, where does it come from? Does it have a special meaning or significance? Did you know that in 1951, the American Name Society stated that our names have one primary purpose, to distinguish us from other people, give us our own identity? As it turns out, in America, our names are very interesting. Even our surnames, as you look at the English surnames, experts tell us that most of them come from four different criteria. And, and the first one would be surnames are based on locality. Uh, the Applebees, for example, they, they live by the apple tree. The Woods family, you know where they lived? Work with me. The Woods, yeah. The West family lived on the west end of town. Other surnames came about from your occupation. If Thomas was a cook, he was known as Thomas the Cook or eventually Thomas Cook. And then the baker and the tailor and even the bowmans, they have ancestors who were skilled in archery. Surnames also originated from the given name of a father. For instance, if John was the son of John, then he would be John Johnson's son or John Johnson. And then fourthly, they're developed from personal characteristics. James Strong, who compiled the Strong's Concordance, had a very muscular ancestry. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow had a tall fellow somewhere in his family tree. But those are all English names, and the pattern with the Hebrew names is completely different because they took very seriously naming their children. In the Bible, a person's name was not just his or her identification, but it was also their description. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus, the the source and center of the Bible would have not just one or two or three names, but scores of names. In, in fact, if you, you know, you, you, you can go from Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, at least 350 names. Why so many names and titles for Jesus? Because he's infinite. He's vast. He's multi-dimensioned. He, he takes all of these names to describe himself to us. And since his attributes are infinite and, and, and limitless, Jesus can no more be contained in his names and titles than the atmosphere can be captured in a series of oxygen tanks or even the ocean bottled in containers, no matter how beautiful the containers. Jesus reveals himself through his designations and all his glorious names meet various needs in our lives. His names reveal diverse dimensions of his power and his love and his grace and mercy and glory. And every one of those touch our souls they disclose the layers of his relationship with us. So, from one perspective, there's nothing unusual about the name Jesus. It's a common designation. In the biblical days, many families, Jewish families, called their boys Jesus up into the second century. In fact, the Bible records four other men named Jesus. So, the name Jesus speaks of his humanity or his ordinariness. But it also speaks of his extraordinariness. Jesus is the New Testament version of the Old Testament name Joshua that comes from two Hebrew words, the name Jehovah, 
coupled with the verb to save, literally Jehovah saves. That explains the angel's message to Joseph when he said, you shall call his name Jesus, Jehovah saves, because he, he, he'll save the people from their sins. So his name, Jesus, embodies his mission and his purpose on the earth to seek and save those that are lost. In Matthew 1.1, in the Bible, the complete Jewish Bible, it says this, this is the genealogy of Yeshua, the Messiah, son of David. Yeshua is what they called him. Westerners refer to him as Jesus. The name Jesus is derived from the Greek transliteration of Messiah's Hebrew name. So we say Joshua in the English language, but the Hebrew form is Yeshua because there are no J's in the Hebrew or Aramaic languages. So Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua are the same name, just pronounced differently depending on the language. But I want to look at the name, the Christ, the Christ. In Acts 17 and 2, Paul, as his custom was, went in to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this is Jesus who I'm preached to you is the Christ. And because Paul was talking to Jewish people, we're reading a translation. He probably said Messiah. In chapter 18, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 28 in the same chapter, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So here's the question for this message. Why is it so important for us to understand that he's the Christ. And then, what does it practically mean to me that Jesus is the Christ? Is it just a church term? What does it mean to me? Well, Christ is from a Greek word, Christos. It's only in the New Testament, but it's in the New Testament 571 times. In the Old Testament, it, it's Messiah, or Mashiach, Mashiach. And, 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 and so they didn't just, you know, they didn't, why, why didn't they just use the word Messiah all the way through, or Christ all the way through because the Hebrew word Mashiach is in the Old Testament 39 times 37 of those times it's translated and used as the word anointed so only two times translated Messiah why because it means the Christ the anointed one so the closest thing when writing the New Testament in Greek they had to they to match the Hebrew word Mashiach they they had to they had to use the word Christos So Paul is telling them that Jesus, he's the anointed one. Well, how does that fit in? Well, in Israel, in the Old Testament, God commanded them to anoint three groups of people. Maybe you've heard of these people, but maybe not all put together. It's prophets, priests, and kings. So he commanded them to anoint the prophets and the priests and the kings. Exodus 30, 30, and you shall anoint Aaron, he's the high priest, and his sons, priests, and consecrate them, and they may minister to me as priests. And by the way, he's talking to Moses here. In another verse in a minute, we're going to see he's talking to Elijah. And these are the two guys, Elijah and Moses, who show up on the Mount of Transfiguration and have a conversation with Jesus before he leaves the earth. Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And when Jesus refers to the scriptures, he refers to them as the law and the prophets. We just looked at a verse where Moses was to anoint the priest. But watch what Elijah does. 1 Kings nineteen sixteen, And you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshai, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of, hard word, of, another hard word. Yeah. 
If you're not Jewish, you can't pronounce them correctly either. So don't give me that southern draw. You don't have it. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. He told him to anoint the king and the prophet. And then Moses is told to anoint the priests. So you have prophets, priests, and kings. So what does it mean that Christ is the anointed one? Here's what it means. It simply means this. That Jesus is my prophet, my priest, and my king. That's what it means. It's that simple. He, uh, he, he's, uh, he's anointed Jesus to be my prophet, to be my priest, to be my king. So I want to show you another conversation he's having with Moses. Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from their brethren and will put my words in his mouth. That's Jesus. He's prophesying. These are messianic scriptures. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And we know this is true because in Acts 3, they quote this verse and say, oh, Jesus is the fulfillment of that verse. So he says, I'm I'm going to send the anointed one, a prophet, and we know it's Jesus, Old Testament, New Testament. Now, watch, here's the priest and the king's part where it comes in talking about Jesus from the Old Testament. Remember, these are messianic scriptures, scriptures talking about Jesus before he comes to the earth. Zechariah 6, 13, and yes, he, Jesus, shall build the temple of the Lord. That's the church. Only Jesus can build the church. And he shall bear glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. There he is, a king. There's the picture of the king. And so he, Jesus, shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between both of them. Here's here's what's so incredible about this. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, and, and, and so God has foreshadowed through the Old Testament these foreshadows of three groups of people. And he's, God is saying, I want you to anoint the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And this is in the scriptures we just read, and they don't know why. God knows why. They're just being obedient. And here's why God did that. Because one day God says, I'm going to send you the prophet, the priest, and the king. So here's my message. I'm going to ask three questions. The answer to the questions are my points. Okay? So here's the first question. What does it mean that Jesus is my prophet? I can hear God. I can hear God. I'm taking a theological understanding here of the Messiah. I'm going to break this down to something extremely practical that you can walk out of here with. What does it mean that Jesus is my prophet? It means I can hear God. Now, think about that for a moment because you're, you're not as excited as you should be. Every financial problem, marriage problem, health problem, relational problem, a children's problem, any situation that you come into, you can take that to God and you can hear God about that situation. I think that's good news. I know you haven't heard much good news lately. You've been hearing all this jibber-jabber about politics or something, but that's good news. That's real good news. And, and, And here's what he's saying. You don't have to ask someone else to hear God for you. I believe in godly counsel. I believe in making sure it confirms with the word. I believe you should have peace in your heart. There's all kinds of steps and confirmations that you need to go through to hear God. But I want you to know you can hear God under the new covenant because Jesus is your prophet. And speaking of the new covenant, listen to this. What Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31, 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. In other words, know him intimately. Be, a, be in relationship with him. For they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them says the lord for i will forgive their iniquity and their sin i'll remember them no more the benefit of the new covenant is the forgiveness of sin and knowing the lord but it's for the least to the greatest so if you think you're the least and you're not 
You get the same benefits because you get to know God intimately. You can have a relationship with him. You can hear him. And you get your sins forgiven. And because of the new covenant, you can hear what God wants to say to you. God doesn't have to speak to us through someone else. He speaks to us through his son, Jesus, who is my prophet. He's your prophet. And I can hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. In other words, you do not have a hearing problem. And someone over here is saying, wow, what did he say? Not, not a physical problem. It's spiritual. We, we don't have a hearing problem, and God doesn't have a speaking problem. We have a recognition problem. And sometimes we don't recognize that God is speaking to us, and the reason that we don't recognize his voice many times, this is very simple to overcome, and you can overcome it. Let me show you how you can overcome it. This is, this is, a, this is a story. You're going to tell me if it's true, okay? Everybody, everybody okay? My wife, of 43 years, called me on the phone last week and said, hey, and I said, who is this? <laughs> how, how many of you believe that's true? I got one person that believes that's true. Boy, I fooled her. That's not true. I know her voice. 43 years. She knows my voice. You can come to the place with the Holy Spirit that he can say, hey, and you know it's him, and you listen. He's distinguishing his voice. And there is a concept in the church. There's this idea that we have to have this Old Testament type of prophet because they're the only ones who can hear God. I once had a fellow, he came up to me, and he said, man, it's so great. You've got people around you and, and good leaders, and, but you need a prophet in your life. So he handed to me his prophet card. Had his name, prophet, identification, prophet ID number and all that. And I told him, I already had a prophet. His name's Jesus, and I didn't need a card to remember who my prophet is. I do believe in the prophetic gifts, but the prophetic gift in the Old Testament was different than in the New Testament because God said, you all can know me. I had one guy come up to me after a service, and, and I could tell immediately in my spirit that this guy was messed up. I don't mean physically. Maybe mentally. <laughs> I mean spiritually. He was a weird guy. I, I, I think there's a theological word in the Greek. It's like uh, kooks. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The singular is kookos. <laughs> I don't know if you've met a lot of kookos. But I've met a lot of kookos. He said to me, I'm a prophet. I have a word for you from God. I remember where I'm standing in the old building where this is happening. I said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. I said, well, let me ask you a question because I want to explain to you why you don't have a word for me. I said, am I a pastor? He said, yes, you are a pastor. And then I said, am I your pastor? Because I knew he didn't go to our church. He's one of those floaters trying to go around and get attention or stir up stuff. So that was meddling. I'm sorry. So, so the guy said, the guy said, no, I, you're not my pastor. I said, okay, well, you might be a prophet, but you're not my prophet. See, I know God. And I know God can speak through anyone. I know that. But this guy's spirit wasn't right. My point is, you don't need to hear God through someone else. We can hear God through others. We can, but we can also hear God directly. And listen to this. Most of the time when you hear from others, it should confirm what you're already hearing from God personally.
But we don't want to take the time to get intimate with God and know him so we can hear his voice. We want to depend on somebody else just walking up and telling us something. And most of the time when that happens, you have no idea if it's real or not because there's no confirmation. Here's the second question. What does it mean that Jesus is my priest? Very simply, I can talk to God. I can talk to God. In the Old Testament, only the priest could approach God. They could only do it one time a year. And they had to offer sacrifices every day in the morning and in the evening. They offered sacrifices for sins committed during the day, sins committed during the night. But they could only approach God coming to the most holy place once a year, and only priests could do it. Why? Because they were anointed to pre- approach God. That's it. They were anointed. Jesus is your priest. Jesus approached God for you. And now, Hebrews seven twenty seven. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people? For this he did once for all. Once for all he offered himself up. That phrase once for all is also in chapter 9 and chapter 10. He sanctified us once for all. He entered in the holy place once for all. So listen, here's what that means in, in, in layman's terms. There are no more payments due on your account. Not by God nor by you. Once for all. He's never going to sacrifice himself again. So that means in Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. So if you ever have a need, I mean, if you have a need every once in a while, if you ever have a need, not only do you get to go to the throne of mercy and grace, but you go boldly. You don't cry and whine and plead no you go boldly to the throne because jesus is our priest he's cleared the way to go and so you can go boldly you can go boldly anytime you don't you don't have to wait for a weekend service you can go anytime you can talk about anything with god so jesus is my prophet so i can hear god jesus is my priest so i can talk with god so here's the third question what does it mean that jesus is my king i I can walk with god i can walk with god we all want to walk with God, but sometimes what we'll tell ourselves is, yeah, but there's that one thing in me. <laughs> there's that one thing that I can't get rid of. There's that one thing. Well, when you walk with him, he helps you get rid of that one thing. He helps you overcome that one thing. Here's what the Bible says in Revelation 17:13. There are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast, but these will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. He's the king. He's not just the king. He's the king of kings. You understand? He's the king of kings. So let let me take a truth because I really think that a lot of times we have this in our minds. So I'm going to take a truth and I'm going to kind of expand on this truth for just a minute. Satan is not Jesus' counterpart. Many people in their minds think, well, the Father's up there and Jesus or Satan are here battling it out. Jesus is not doing battle with Satan. We battle Satan and his forces. Jesus has already done the battle and won the battle. Jesus made a public spectacle of him, disarmed him, and destroyed all the works of the enemy when he came to the earth. So you need to know Jesus is the creator. Satan is the created. If Satan has counterparts, they would be Michael and Gabriel. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer all created angels at one time. But you can never, never, never put Satan, who was Lucifer, on the same level with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the king. Yeah, but but what about Satan? Satan is not a king. He's a prince. 
The Bible says that he's the prince in the power of the air. The Bible says he's the prince of darkness. So he's a prince, not a king. And even if he was a king, I know the king of kings. You got it? So, let me end with a story. In the Old Testament, there's a king named David, very popular king, still loved, esteemed today. After David finally got into his reign as king, he asked those around him, is there anybody left of the house of Saul? House of Saul represents the house of lies. So he asked all these people around him, is there anybody left in the house of Saul? So they Googled it and they found (laughs) there was one guy left. One man left. He's probably 40 years old by now. His name is Mephibosheth. Now, if you've been around here, you've heard me teach on Mephibosheth. 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 I say that because one young guy preached an entire sermon on Mephibosheth, but he kept saying, Methabofish. <laughs> Methabofish is not in the Bible. It's Mephibosheth. His dad was Jonathan. Jonathan was in covenant with David. But when you think about Mephibosheth, if you've been around here and you've heard us teach on it, the first thing that comes to your mind, he was lame. But he wasn't born that way. So when Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle and the word reached the house of Saul, house of lies, and all the lies they're hearing is David is bad and David is, is against us and David's going to kill us and destroy us. And they get the word, Jonathan and his, uh, Saul, his king Saul and his two sons are dead. They run for fear. The whole house of Saul runs for fear. And then the nanny or the babysitter that has Mephibosheth picks him up. He's probably four years old, three or four years old. And they run to hide from David, who's been anointed to be the next king. While she's running, she drops him and he became lame. Here's what that means. That he has such severe breaks in his leg that the physicians didn't have the science to refix and and repair his leg. So he grew up lame. As he grew up, he's watching other boys and girls play and he can't run and play. And he would ask the question, why? The answer was always, David, David. He grows up with this mentality. He's afraid of David. He's fearful. David wants to kill him. As an adult, we find him on the Google search living in a town called Lodibar. Lodibar is a dry, barren wilderness. So here is Mephibosheth, who grew up in the house of lies against the anointed king, living in a dry, barren place. I want you to see this similarity. Today, how many people believe the king is mad at them? How many people are living in dry, barren places because you live in a house of Saul that tells you lies that he can't love you because of what you've done? Or he's mad at you because you divorced? Or he's mad at you because this happened or that happened? See, those are lies. So here's what happened. David finds out where he's living. He sends his men to get him, and he brings him into the palace. And David said, hey, I'm going I'm to restore to you everything that, you're, that was your father's, Jonathan. You're going to live in the palace. You're going to eat the king's food at the table, and you're going to be a king's son. Mephibosheth said back to him, who am I, such a dead dog, that you would do this for me? In other words, what have I done to deserve this? I'm a dead dog. Now, it's not recorded the answer. We all know the answer. The answer is nothing. Nothing. But David did say because of a covenant between your father and the anointed king, it's why the king 
is showing kindness to you. See, a lot of people believe that on that cross, God made a covenant with us. No, God didn't make a covenant with us because he knew we couldn't keep it. He made the covenant with the king. The father made a covenant with the king, and when we believe, we get in on the covenant. And because we believe in Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, all we have to do is believe. And then we have this anointed prophet, priest, and king that influences our life. So I I can hear him and talk to him and walk with him. And here's what I want you to see. You heard the song, Jesus, 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 and how the darkness trembles. You know why the darkness trembles? Because the anointed one. You know why fear trembles at Jesus the Christ? Because of the anointing. It's the anointing. That's why. See, this weekend in, in looking at the names, we're, we're going to pivot because this is going to put us in a place to pivot. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at something in a different lane. But we have to understand this one. Because if you're a believer, you have access to the Christ, the anointed one, who can, you, you, can, you can hear, you can talk to, and you can walk with. And the important part of it to me is, all of it's important hearing, but, but the walking part is so many people won't try to walk with the king because they're afraid of the king because of your past. But you see, the king, because of what he did on the cross, can forgive you of your past and not remember it anymore. We remember it. <laughs> and, we, and, and then the enemy takes what we remember and he comes back and he, and he circles back around and says, oh yeah, that king's mad at you. If I could have been in the mind of this crippled, lame man, Mephibosheth, who was probably a beggar who lived on the side of the road in the dust and the dirt, in his mind, he's thinking, okay, sooner or later, David's going to find me and he's going to kill me. And then the king's men show up there at his, at his hut or whatever he's in, and I'm sure in his heart, it's over, I'm done. He stands in front of the king and he says, what, what have I done to deserve this? And he says, nothing. How hard is it for us sometimes in our own natural body to say, nothing? What's the catch? Because we're all looking for a catch. There is no catch. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son, the Christ, the anointed one, so that my sins can be forgiven, so that my life is restored, so that I can live and walk and talk with the living God while I'm living on this earth. And I want, to, I want you to know, that's good news for us. That's good news. So personal questions for you. Don't lift your hands on these. Are there some areas you need to talk to God about right now? I'm sure there is. It's a lot of us. Are there some areas where you need to hear God? It's like you're just waiting. Are are, are there there some areas where, where you need to hear a word from God? But you see, you can talk to him, and he's going to talk back, and you can learn to hear his voice as you spend time with him and get to know him. So no matter what you're going through, maybe you need a king to come in and kick the prince out of your life. That's a whole sermon right there. Kick the prince out of your life. I like that. That, That'll preach in South Alabama. (laughs) Kick the prince out of your life. Listen, we want to pray for you. No matter what you're going through, every campus, we, we, we want to pray for you. Because when we dismiss in just a minute, you can come to the front and let someone pray for you. We love you. We want to pray for you. We understand 
But don't miss out on the Christ. He's for you. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving your son, Jesus, the Christ. And Lord, we recognize that he is the anointed one, that he's our prophet and our priest and our king. We thank you that we can experience all of these attributes of your son. And so, Lord, I ask you by your Holy Spirit to draw every person at every campus that needs prayer right now. Draw them to receive prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.